Hello, Sally. Hi, Sarah. So we had the idea that because we were getting so many amazing questions from people in the mindset calls, and we would just never have time to address all of them, and often there are these common themes that we can see running through them, you've actually made the excellent suggestion that maybe we should just have a chat about some of them and record them and pop those up as bonus kind of podcast type episodes very much like if anyone's heard the podcast I do with Jen letters from hopeful creative that kind of format where we take a problem and we pull it apart and look at all the sides of it so what I've done is um, we both felt that it would be better rather than kind of picking one person and then feeling like they were the subject of scrutiny I've kind of depersonalized the question we've got and actually for this one this week because we've had so many on almost identical themes, I've been able to kind of pull threads from a few of them and put them together to form kind of one narrative. So this is based on one particular question with kind of bonus bits brought in from other people. So you might hear a bit of your own questioning in here. And even if you've not written it, I suspect there's a lot of people who will resonate with what's in this question. A hundred percent. We've seen this come up even in the the last insurer retreat as well. This is something that has touched a lot of people's lives. And even if it hasn't touched their lives already, it's something that they're scared of touching their lives. Yeah, well, that's it. Um, And I would say it's the number one thing I'm asked to coach on for the past kind of 18 months, which is really interesting because it wasn't previous to that. Let me read the question because we're being so mysterious right now. Oh, we are. (laughs) Um, So I'm struggling with feeling safe showing up online. I've been on the receiving end of some pretty hardcore trolling and hate in the past, mainly on Twitter, relating to my professional life. While my work and reputation were lucky enough to survive unscathed, my emotional health was not and my relationship with Twitter and social media in general has never really been the same. I see other women building these amazing communities on Instagram, but I'm just not convinced it's all that different or any more safe than Twitter. This past year in particular, I've seen other women be torn to shreds on there, and I know it's the same social media model at work. Engagement is currency, and negativity provokes the most engagement. While I can see that often the initial criticism is valid and even necessary, what comes next seems to be wildly unhelpful and at times even dangerous. Everyone loves a drama, and once that train is rolling, I know how hard it is to bring it to a stop. I don't want to hide myself away. My work is important, and I have a voice and want to use it. But the fact is, I'm scared, and for good reason. I really don't want to go through all that BS like before. It was super stressful to me. So what should I do? What should she do, Sally? Like I'm going to clap and be able to fix the the world's issues. I I really wish I could control all the people. It'd be such a good world. For me, whenever I read this, whenever I hear this, what I really want to do is separate the mindset from the strategy. Mm. That's the first thing that comes to me because there is, you can do anything you want to do in the world. This person has had negativity they have had a reaction to something that they have written and they put out on social media. They're already aware of risks. And I think it's, you know, she she mentions that her work and reputation were, were lucky enough to survive unscathed, but her emotional health was not. So this already says to me that the most important thing for me to advise this person is to prioritize their emotional safety. Because without that, 
nothing that you put out is going to feel good and you will be reluctant to put out a very strong voice because even just that act is coming from unsafety. Yeah, but then as soon as we go into, I need to protect my emotional safety, it's very easy to go straight to, okay, I'll hide, I'll stay in the cave. That's the safest place. Which is true. Yeah. yeah, and you absolutely can do that. I think, but but as soon as we go, well, it's this or that. Like I have to show everything warts and all. I'm not saying that that's what she's saying, but if we we are human creatures that have these kind of um, you know polar opinions, it's all or nothing. And I think there's a massive space in between for moving into an environment whilst protecting your whilst protecting yourself. Mm. and still achieving what it is that you want to achieve. I mean, we cannot grow personally. And I would argue that even as a community, we cannot grow unless safety is there. I mean, safety is kind of like my number one thing. I'm, a, I'm big on safety. Um, but when we are pushing limits of what we do, we push that limit and then we come back to safety to recover. Mm. And then we go and we push the limit and we come back to safety to recover. So making sure that you're emotionally safe doesn't mean that you don't do things that you feel um, nervous about or don't do things that you know you may have a little bit of fear about. What it does mean is that you have a home to come back to where you recharge, you recover, and you are personally self-responsible for your own emotions as opposed to taking on the emotions of whatever happens when you're out at your limits. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as you talk about that as well, I'm thinking, like, how do we even define emotional safety? Because there's definitely an argument that says staying in the cave and regretting all the things that you can't do and feeling like really trapped and uh, like claustrophobic because you have a voice and you're not letting yourself use it. It's probably not a super safe place to be emotionally either. Like it's a harmful place to be. So even by making the choice of staying in the cave, which we think is the safest place, and by in the cave, I mean in this case, like not posting, staying off social media, we still bring the risk of emotional harm to ourselves. And often it means we live in the fear just as much because we're living in the fear of like, oh, I want to say all these things but I can't. So we experience the same fear that we would if we were putting ourselves out there, but without any of the benefits. Yes. But that again is the thing that I would love to separate mindset from strategy. If you kind of, if you think of the, the mindset as the emotional management of it, the, you know, the, the pushing the limits in terms of where I'm uncomfortable or where I'm, you know, experiencing discomfort and mm -hmm. then coming back to safety to recover versus the strategy, let's say in this in this case of Instagram, if you look at it in a, maybe like a risks and hazards perspective, like if you're, if you're on a roof of a building, you know, there's a, there's a hazard, which is, um, excuse me, there's a risk, which is the edge of the roof. And the closer you get to the, the risk, which is the edge of the roof, the more likely it is that you're going to hit the hazard, which is the ground that's underneath the roof. So what do you see as the risk? Well, I think when that's the strategy side of things, isn't it? So what, what am I prepared to, what information am I prepared to release? What do I know about the risks of doing this? And how close am I prepared to get to that risk personally? See, but I would even question that because I think 
we think we know what's dangerous. We think we know what is risky. But often it's it's wildly exaggerated in our brains. Like we think things are dangerous that aren't. Like, you know, obviously if you wanted to go on Instagram and say like something wildly homophobic, you could expect a backlash, but I don't think that's what our question writer is saying. Like, I think- But you say that, but then actually within the question itself, you know, she has put something onto Twitter and she has received, I mean, she's, how she's describing it is she has received the, she has hit the ground. You know, she's Mm. fallen off the edge of the roof and she's hit the ground. That's not to say it wasn't an intentional choice, but knowing that that ground was there when she hit it, Hang on a minute, I've gone off track. <laughs> Do you know where I'm going with this? Well, so, this so where I struggle with this analogy, and um, and maybe you can clarify it for me, is I think the belief that we can ever know where the risks are, where the tripwires are in advance, is a fallacy. And I think that belief is actually quite dangerous and can hold us back. Because she didn't know, whatever she said on Twitter... I, in the fuller question, she makes it quite clear that she did not know that that was going to happen. Like she did not intentionally set out to provoke and it was much more about her work. Um, And when we think we can strategically post online so that we never receive criticism, we automatically, we have to stifle so much of ourselves. And it's a kind of a a thankless task because it's a bit like saying, I am going to, just be so nice that everybody in the world likes me it's just impossible because you'll meet someone who doesn't like nice people or someone who can tell that you're faking it or someone who doesn't like the color of your hair mm-hmm. you see what i mean like yes but i also i would see the criticism as the as the as the hazard and then the mindset side of things is how much that hazard impacts you like how how you are everybody is going to get criticism it sounds very much like this person had a had a huge amount of it a disproportionate amount of it to what she was what she was expecting Mm -hmm. the criticism is going to come regardless of what you do the bigger your voice the the more kind of impactful whatever it is that you want to say potentially the larger the criticism so what do you want to put in place in your in your mind to allow you to move towards that risk with you yeah if we accept it's inevitable yeah because i because i think it is unfortunately i yeah. think it is something that we but equally mindset is not to be used to make you immune to these things because then you're ignoring your own requirement for safety so it's yeah. a, it's a balance that every single person will have different that's awful grammar. Everybody will experience where they are comfortable on that spectrum differently. Well, and also she says like she can see that initially a lot of the criticism when when these things happen online is valid. So again, we don't want to be of a mindset where we're like, other people's opinions mean nothing to me because we need to be able to take useful feedback. But like you say, we also need to be able to keep ourselves emotionally safe. Um, I think, though, first we need to pause in this place of admitting it's inevitable because there will be people whose brains right now are like, no, no, it's not inevitable. I can just, I'll I'll do all the things and I'll play all the rules and I'll read all the things. Um, I'm inevitable. Like, that is not to say it is going to happen to 100% of people, 
but it's kind of like it's not within your control if it does or doesn't happen we can't control the other people we can't control other people and we kind of know that's true like if you say it like that most people will agree but we all also spend a whole lot of time and energy in our lives trying to control other people and we're sort of taught to we're like you know have good manners so people think you're polite and um you know be be friendly so people think you're kind and so it makes sense that we extend that to everything we do when we're online and and we read it with the eyes of our critics as well as our like supporters and it's not necessarily a bad thing i think there's like a fine line here isn't there because I would recommend everybody reads what they put online and thinks, is this going to be harmful to anybody? Is this going to hurt anybody? And I think everyone listening, everyone within the Insta retreat is of that mindset. They don't want to create that kind of harm in the world. But reading it and asking yourself, might somebody be able to find something to criticize in this? That is not a helpful question. Yeah. Yeah. There's al- There is always going to be the ability for somebody to find a disagreement within anything, within a you know picture of a kitten, somebody will have something to say <laughs> Some about something. People hate kittens. Some people drown kittens. But that is when the oh gosh, <laughs> but that that is when the mindset side of it comes in. It's understanding that the risk is there. How much do I want to work my mind to get close to that risk? Because if you mm. have, you know, what one of my um, my business coach says, if you're if you're not losing followers, you're not saying what you mean Mm. well I talk about this in the insta retreat if you remember as panning for gold so like you've got to shake the sieve to get rid of the soil or else you're not going to find the gold and the gold is your beautiful sparkly valuable followers who are there for what you really do and it looks like it's way more impressive when you've got a whole sieve full of stuff but it's worthless because it's just mud you need to find the gold but equally you know finding those people you know, there are words that are thrown around, like you've got to be vulnerable, you've got to be, um, you know, you've got to be aligned with this, that and the other, you've got to be, I think there is a very real risk of people interpreting that as you've got to go in with your open wound, or you've got to go in war, or you've got to go in, like showing and sharing everything. You can leave like 99.9% of you offline. <laughs> like. You... But that's it, and that's exactly what we're talking about. That then becomes part of the strategy. Like, okay, I've worked on my mind. I want to say these things. Now, what's the strategy that's going to support me to get as close as possible to this, what I perceive as a risk, and most probably is a risk? What's going to allow me to get as close as possible to say what it is that I want to say? Well, potentially part of that is privacy. Hmm. Choosing intentionally. Yeah, choosing, and not choosing, you know, choosing, of course, what you what you want to say and how you want to say it but in the very personal side of who it is doing the saying how can you protect yourself so there's the emotional bit there's also like your your actual life have you got kids don't maybe let's not put pictures of your kids faces on there or say what school they're at you know just kind of very kind of 101 personal safety type things I mean that's taking it to an extreme I mean, people will have heard me say this before. I think it's even in the Insta retreat that I will not post anything until I feel emotionally like resolved about it. So if I'm going through a drama, a crisis, um, it's not going to make it to a public discussion forum until 
I feel steady because I know the danger there. Like, you know, if I'm trying to think of an example, like, I don't know if I'm like doubting my, like where my fatigue ends or my laziness begins. And I go and ask people and one person comes in and says, you are just lazy. Like just get a fucking rip of yourself, Sarah. That will that will really get to me. Whereas once I'm sorted and resolved, I can read that and be like, "Oh my god, what a troll!" Goodbye. So, because right. you've I, made a decision in advance, you've made your mind up already. Yes, yes. Um, what I often will do is, in the moment of drama, the moment of pain, I will write the caption that I wish I could share because I want to use my voice and I want that connection. But I sit on it and I keep it, and then like a few months later, I bring it up and I'm like oh that does not hurt me anymore and it's a really good piece of writing (laughs) I'll put it out and it will still have that resonance and it will still connect with people who are going through it or who can relate because it's it's real it's written in the moment but it's no longer painful for me and I once um, interviewed Anna from the Anna Edit the YouTuber and she said for her her boundaries are like things that are just not up for discussion she will not speak about so like her family um like anything like that that she just does not want people to comment on she won't feature she won't speak about them so it's just not available for people to discuss and I think that's another really clear way to set a boundary I think that word itself boundaries is really important yeah and maybe we need to just clarify actually I have a podcast coming up about this on, on hashtag authentic but oh, that's convenient <laughs> yeah so you can listen to that but um when we say a boundary I know Sally you and I have the same kind of schooling on what a boundary is because it's one of those words like there's a lot of definitions out there for boundaries and a lot of muddy things and, and for a long time I just thought it was kind of like 90s Ricky Lake kind of American self-help woo-woo if I'm honest I was like boundaries they're not real um turns out they're kind of the secret to life so a boundary is a rule that you set in advance and it is not designed to control other people it is to determine how you will act if other people behave in a certain way so for example if somebody comments on my parenting on my instagram i will mute them, block them, delete their comment, whatever you decide in advance. And the other really key thing about boundaries is you have to state them in advance so that other people know when they're transgressing and they're crossing your boundaries. So if you comment on my parenting, you can expect to be blocked. Um, And then if someone does, that's fine. They can still be them. They can still be the human and do the human things. We're not trying to stop them from doing what they want to do, but we already have the plan of how we're going to respond. We don't have to choose in the moment. We just go, ah, oh, I already know. Like, here's my little flow chart. Let me just check. Random weirdo comments negatively on my parenting. The down arrow says block. Okay, goodbye. And having that decision made in advance gives your brain so much peace because you have... Like if you like your past self has looked after your future self. Yeah. This is going to happen at some point. No, I've got your back. I've thought this through. I know what it is I want to do. This boundary is in place. But also there's a personal boundary. You know, as you mentioned, things that um, you said you were talking to Anna about, things that she won't put on Instagram. I personally, I have things that I don't post on Instagram. Um, I'm sure you do as well. Or emotions that you won't post from and I had just had, as you were discussing, actually, things that you wrote in the moment that still had a lot of resonance and a lot of truth to them. You 
you don't throw yourself under the bus. You don't kind of throw it out there in when you're in an emotional state where other people's comments or opinions will impact how you eventually will think about this moment. But you kind of sit on it like a, like a mama hen yeah. and you, in, you incubate that little idea until it hatches. <laughs> I should say as well, because the positive stuff can impact you in that moment just as much as the negative. Like, you know, if you're trying to make a decision about something or like, you know, you're wavering and everyone gives you that beautiful online verbal hug, it, that's quite swaying. It like can really weight your decision in a different direction or it, it can kind of muddy the water. So if you're trying to be clear in your own head, outsourcing it to the internet, negative or positive is generally, I find just more noise and more confusion. Mm, mm. And and actually, because in this in this letter, she says, I don't want to hide myself away. My work is important. So she clearly has a clear point of view. She says, I have a voice and I want to use it. And I think if we go into that with a, I've thought about this, this is what I want to say, then everything that we've already been talking about, the mindset, the strategy, the the boundaries in place, the the risk, the hazard, the okay, fine. I've I, almost like I've got a I've got a plan for how I'm going to run my Instagram account or how I'm going to run my voice on Instagram. Yes. That is also, it's personal to her or her account, however she wants to, it might not be, she might not personally put herself as the account holder. It might be a like a, I don't know, you can like, like fake accounts or something or brand account. Yeah. yeah. Um, however she wants to do it. Going through this process of thinking in advance what she's going to do if and when something happens, and she's not going to be able to cover all bases, but it's almost like a, like a, pre-thinking of the worst case scenario, pre-thinking what she's going to be doing, that is going to separate her personally from what it is that she wants to achieve. So the result isn't going to mean the same thing. It's going to mean less about her. Yes, completely. And, and it's going to stop her dropping straight into that spiral, which I'm sure everyone knows, where you get a negative DM or even like just a slightly, slightly off DM and you like read it 25 times and memorize it character for character and five years later you can still recite it and like it, it takes that away because when we make that plan from this place from this calm centered prefrontal cortex not in the moment not in danger not in drama we're able to think really clearly and come up with a really loving sensible nurturing plan in the moment when we feel like we're under attack which especially if you've got prior experience of that like you will go straight back to that place of oh my god I'm going to go through all of this pain and terror again and you will not be able to make good decisions like we know my GP has said to me before you, you can't make good decisions when you're in this anxious state like we have to get you calm before you can try and make yeah. decisions well you literally can't as in the blood no longer runs in the same way to your prefrontal cortex yeah. you, it's your amygdala swells you're totally in fight flight you're in fawn you're in freeze whatever your predominant reaction is actually it's really good if you know what your predominant reaction is to stress or to triggers or to trauma or to, you know, what do you do when you're activated? Because then you can begin to recognize it before it becomes something that has, you know, kind of quote unquote control over you. You're like, oh, hang on a minute. I'm noticing that I'm people pleasing. That's fawning. That's yeah. actually a biological response. We are pre-programmed to people please for our own safety. 
It makes perfect sense. And and all of them make perfect sense. This is an exercise my therapist had me do quite recently was make a plan for when I'm in crisis. Um, and she was like, so in fact, we even talked about this. We talked about like, what if like you get some really devastating criticism online? And she was like, you know, what do you want to do in that moment? And how do you want to treat yourself? Like, how can you respond? How can you make a plan for that? And I just kept saying, well, I'll just take some diazepam. That's my plan. And she was like, no, no, no. No, that's, that's <laughs> okay, not Okay, we have to have something else in place. There's not enough diazepam in the world. Right? <laughs> she was like, you, I don't want you to need that. Like, there's other things. And I was like, I'm not doing breathing exercises. She was like, well, oh, why not? Maybe. And that's a really interesting question, why not? Because my brain thinks... Well, so I have ADHD. I'm not a facet of ADHD. is rejection-sensitive dysphoria. So in moments of perceived rejection, I very quickly go from naught to, like, 10,000. And I am in, like, full-on, like, there's a tiger attacking my baby mode. Um, so I was like, flipping breathing exercises aren't going to fix it. <laughs> like, they're not going to bring me back. Oh, that's so interesting. My husband is qualified with Laird Hamilton in breathing exercises. Ooh. I know that sounds like really an odd thing, but he has, so I'm also um, diagnosed ADHD and, and so has my eldest son. And he's been teaching my eldest son some breathing exercises, which he has exactly the same reaction to you. He's like, that's the But because he's only ever... Um, asking him to do it when he's in emotional turmoil it's very difficult for him to practice them uh, my approach is different I'm like I always practice these things off the pitch like before yes. I'm playing when it's and easier one of them it, it's easier but it's also it's like making decisions in advance you're kind of letting your body know that this is something that's really good for it and there are other things that you can do as well I mean what I meant to say was there was there's one specific one that very much helps with that you know, zero to a hundred, which is two sharp inhale breaths to one exhale. So it's just, and I don't know why. Yeah, but it's, it just, and there are neurological benefits. One breath genuinely changes the neurofunction of your brain. One breath oxygenates in a way because your prefrontal cortex is shutting down you have less oxygen in your brain because it's going to all the vital organs. It's going to your muscles to help you run. It's going to your fists, your well, arms. And your breathing your... gets shallow because you're like your panicking. So you are net like an animal is never going to stand still and take some massive big lungfuls of breath when it is genuinely in danger. So you can trick your brain into coming out of danger by doing a biological function that it wouldn't ever do if it was in danger. That does make sense. And this is something that I practice as well. In fact, I've got a couple of um, IGTVs about it, actually, why these things are important. Because you know, they're all about safety. Is that, so for example, you can do wide eye, which is a meditation that I actually learned about from Sam Harris, but it's it's been around for, you know, eons. It's not, he didn't originate it. No, it was no. something that he we learned love, about We love Sam market. Harris's meditations. Though. He has we do. We do. We do. If anyone wants to check it out. It's, very good. it's very good because it's short. It's short and it's science-based rather than woo-woo based. So it's my bag. Nothing wrong with the woo-woo. I'm leaning into the no, woo-woo. No, no, I, I should say. say that. But um, it's like, if, if, you, if you're resistant to meditation, it's a good way to get started. 
very much. I was a fidgety skeptic, so it suited that's me down it. to the ground. Fidgety you recommended skeptic, it. To me. That's it. Fidgety yeah. skeptic. Um, but at the wide eye is you just find a focus point and then you increase your peripheral vision. So yes, you see, yes. like for example, I'm now looking at my computer. I can see in my in the periphery of my vision. I can see the ceiling. I can see my knees. I can see the wall on the left, the wall on the right, and all the items in between. And you focus whilst looking at one point ahead of you. You can focus on all of these other things in your periphery vision. That is something that your body would never, ever do if you were genuinely in a state of trauma, if you were in a state of fight, flight, fawn, freeze, fight, fight, fawn, freeze. Yeah, that's the four. If you were, if any of those were required, you would be looking straight ahead at the tiger. It's kind of like power poses. You know, when they say like, if you're about to do public speaking, you feel scared. You've got to like stand with your arms and take up tons of space because again like it physically makes your body go I can't be in danger like I'm making myself big and visible a hundred percent a hundred percent I think we've lost over the years we have lost so much contact with our body and we're so encouraged to be cerebral and to be thinkers and to kind of work our way out of problems in a very logistical linear way that we've lost the fact that our mind and our body are connected in ways that we don't we don't control them Mm. you know we were born animals we will die animals and in between we have a prefrontal cortex that tends to make us pretty fucking arrogant (laughs) (laughs) about the control that we have over ourselves and other people and the world and the weather and the you know all this stuff but really we respond in a very animalistic way to a lot of things and when we disengage from our body we are disengaging from another language that we speak. Yeah, yeah. And um, to be fair, when I take diets up, I'm, all I'm trying to do is disengage from my body. Why? I'm just trying to put it off till later. That is, and that's not to say that people should not take their prescription drugs. If your doctor prescribes it, please take it. Um, but yeah, and and so everything that my therapist kind of had me put on the list was very much about grounding. It was about like remembering that, I'm here and I'm safe and I'm in my house and I've got my family and I have a list of things that I love about myself that I can go back to that are true no matter what someone else says about me and again like that was something I really had to work on because if you are a people pleaser if you've been through something like our letter writer has been through then it's very easy to kind of have a a really like wobbly sense of who you are like I think I'm this and think I'm this people say I'm this and then as soon as you outsource that, like, well, everyone says I'm this. If someone then says you're not, what does that mean for who you yeah. are? And yeah. what I found is I knew, I knew who I was. Like the exercise, again, I talk about this in my podcast, but um, the exercise she had me do was I got some of my really closest, like warts and all friends who have seen me go through, like, you know, the real one, the ones who see me do the big snotty cries and like the ones who hold your hair when you're being sick, those friends. Um, <laughs> had them write a letter telling me what they thought my best qualities were like what they loved about me and as I read them out with my therapist um she she would stop me at each point and she was like what do you think about that and eventually I got around to saying yeah I agree like it's true and everyone was writing the same things and there was this real knowing then inside me of like I already knew. I already knew I was like really kind. I already knew that I have bags of compassion. Um, I just wasn't letting myself 
own that. I was thinking that it was contingent on other people's opinions. And that is where, if you go online with that wobbly foundation that I had, you are inherently extremely vulnerable because you're only ever one negative comment away from like the whole thing crumbling down. Yeah, and that's the side of vulnerability that can be interpreted as, oh no, it's great, I'm going out there wholly as myself. And actually what you're doing is throwing yourself under a bus Mm. because you're not secure, you're not safe within yourself. And you're probably and you looking, exposing yourself. probably looking for validation. It's like, if we kind of, I'm trying, I'm like picturing this wobbly scaffolding in my head, and like, we're like, we just need more, more poles. We need more scaffolding. Let's get more. Yeah. Let's get everyone online yeah. to tell us we're good enough. Let's get more evidence that we're a good person, and keep piling it on and piling it on. But actually, what we need is to make the building inside stand on its own, and then the scaffolding can do whatever it wants. Yes. And your point about having that list, that that list that you can psychologically restore yourself with, because you you know it, you believe it to be true, you your your mind isn't going to fight it. Mm. Where where if somebody says um, something, you're you're not compassionate, and you can go back to this list and you go, actually, I I know I am. Yeah. I know this to be true. And that knowing, that grounding, like that knowing, wouldn't have happened for me if she hadn't taken me through that process. Like it wasn't because my friend said it that I believed it. It was because my friend said it and then someone, my therapist would then say to me, is that true? Do you think that's true? And I'd have to sit and think and feel it and go, yeah, 100% think well, that's Well, this is true. beautiful because this brings us back full circle to making your own mind up. Yes. So yeah. you're not crowdsourcing self-opinion. Yep. Yep. And Something like that, having that sort of a list or having some sort of grounding when we're talking about subjects that we're going to be putting out into the world that are, if we would use a word like maybe taboo or risky, our brain is already going to be on red alert. Mm -hmm. So anything that is beyond the realms of, I guess, like latte, (laughs) anything that we think may have a reaction, anytime we're, we're really showing our true colors, our true voice having something that you can return to the safety that we were talking about in the beginning this grounding what do i genuinely do that take care that takes care of me for me it's walking my dog like being outside even if i didn't i mean i think the reason i have a dog is because i like being outside but i also very much love having dogs you know just being in that outdoor space feeling the sun on my face or the wind in my hair or the rain because sometimes you know i even go out in the rain um is restorative to me and it's incredibly important for me to know how I receive that self-love like going outside for a walk isn't just walking the dog going outside for a walk is me caring about what feels good to me because a lot of people I think get a bit confused of what is grounding like is it what is that is that like sitting on the yeah. <laughs> I had this impression when somebody said you know what what do you do to ground yourself I'm like I, I had this because I was in the building trade I was like oh like a you know, like a grinding wire, you know, yeah, like, like they have on, on churches <laughs> if they get hit by lightning, which it is. That's exactly what it is. But I was like, I don't have any representation for that in my head. And I didn't know. And it took me ages to figure out. And basically, if you want to know what grounds you, just look to your joy compass. What makes mm. you feel really good? And for one person, and and I'm not talking about when I feel crap, I watch Netflix and I feel better because that's that's just buffering too. 
avoid an emotion. What I mean is, is walking next to the sea, like walking on a beach, is that your bag? Are you like, oh my God, I can't, I love being in trees, like forests, that's 100% my thing. Or I don't know, I love having my hands in clay or... Oh, I don't know, but you know, there, there will be something taking a bath. Yeah. You know, there will be something that just feels so delicious to you that, you know, it is a hundred percent what your head and your heart and your body love doing. That's grounding. If you have a history of trauma, grounding is such an important thing because what happens very quickly is anything that reminds you of that trauma um, there's a whole concept of pattern matching. So it, for me, it can even just be being in a room where the decor and the light and the temperature like are similar enough that they take me back to a point in my childhood. Your brain is like wired to go, I recognize this pattern. We are not safe. We need to activate these systems. We need to go, Get go, the go, go. Button. Yeah. Mm. And so being able to ground yourself then is to be able to go actually like, remembering who I am, where I am, what my life is, what my power is, like what will make me feel safe right now. And like you, I was like grounding, whatever. And But that is the most powerful thing. But a huge component of that is being able to spot when you need it. And yes. that again is a decision that's best made in advance. So like if you were to write yourself and I would urge our letter writer to write a protocol for like, if this happens or if I start to feel like it's happening, these are the steps I'm going to do. These are the questions I'm going to ask myself. These are the ways I'm going to treat myself and have something in there about like grounding yourself in, you know, how you are safe, how this is not the same as yeah. what happened on Twitter, because it will not be the same. Whatever happens or doesn't happen, it will not be the same. And also I would say, if you haven't already, it might be worth talking to a therapist about what happened on Twitter because a rejection on that scale is 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 traumatic like because we're humans we're we're pack animals we are designed to want to be part of the tribe so that we're not left out on the prairie on our own to be eaten by a tiger so it's completely normal and human and rational to be frightened of experiencing that and if you have experienced it for it to leave a real mark on you i think uh, with that in mind I think just one thing that I would love to add is I was asked the other day by one of my clients, which, um, not which, how to tell the difference between like instinctive, don't do it fear. And, you know, mm. how, how do you know when it's something you should do and you should work through the fear versus or you want to work like through the fear versus actually I'm in a dark alley and this is all yeah. like 12 different ways of wrong. Um, and actually I read it in a, in Tara Moore's book, I think, where yes. she was talking about the two different types of fear. So there's, in effect, it's expansive or contractive. So when you, but but to do this, you have to be able to sit with that fear and kind of sink into your body a little bit and go, right, that this may feel uncomfortable to do, but it's very worth doing. This fear, does it make me feel contracted? Do I shrink? Do I, you know, is there a um, like a physical contraction to my body? Does my mind close down? Is it dark? Yeah, like Versus... Tara talks about it as like the fear of the monster under the bed. Like it's that like yeah. kind of conjured up. It's all your worst fears. It's all the scary things. 
versus the the expansive fear which we would feel if we were for example standing on stage in front of a lot of people or if we walked into a big empty space if we're growing if we're evolving our brain is going to give us signals that will make us feel fear because it doesn't know what's coming but there's no little bunny ears there's no real danger and it's something that you want to do so our letter writer talks about wanting to move into this so that speaks to me of expansion and then the other side of it is that she's concerned about history repeating itself and that's contractive Mm. so those two different fears are evident here and it would be really um interesting for her to explore both of those to see if she does want this which fear is greater is she prepared to move past or through the contractive fear because the expansive fear is worth it for her personally and she's the only one that can make up her mind on this this is not something that anybody else can lobby or is it the other way around and this is not a contract you always get to change your mind even with her instagram account she gets to change her mind if she's like two weeks into it she's like oh holy crap this is absolutely awful that's she can stop like it's not delete yeah 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 so i think we, we do tend to go like once we're committed that's it for the rest of my life what it comes down to and this is the compass i use to navigate all of my life now is like do you like your reasons for your choice so you're you're choosing right now not to show up your choice is to show up or not to show up and you're choosing not to and from what we've got the information here the reason is because it's scary because she doesn't trust people to behave themselves in the way that that she would like um and she is frightened of experiencing negative emotions again um and maybe she likes those reasons maybe when she looks at those reasons she's like yep no actually like that makes that the right choice for me or maybe she looks at that and she's like no that they're not compelling reasons for me like the reasons I would show up are because I want to make a difference because I think I have a voice that needs to be heard because I want to move past this fear those are much more compelling reasons so it if you list your reasons for each choice, so yeah. often just recognizing like which list do you like better because that's the choice. A hundred percent. I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah. Snap. <laughs> yeah. Which list do you like better? It can be that simple. And I think ninety percent of the drama of this will disappear as soon as she makes a decision. And there's yeah. no shame. Like there is not. This is. She doesn't have to do either of them. There is no shame in not showing up there is no No. shame in showing up you know there is just you get to make a choice and there are other ways to have an impact to make a difference like instagram is not the only option available to her we're on an instagram course for sure but like there are other ways she could do it um like i personally feel much safer talking about more personal stuff on my podcast than Mm. i do on somewhere like twitter or even instagram because i know like if you're like 40 minutes into listening to something, you probably don't hate me. Because why would you do that to yourself? Oh, that's interesting. Like, do you know, You've like just got different thoughts about it. Yeah, it's totally just my thoughts, but I, I'm going to keep them because they help me. Yeah, they work for you. And it's very easy on Instagram, on Twitter, you find someone's thing out of context. It takes three seconds for you to read it, judge it, and tell them your judgment. It's a much bigger investment of time and energy to judge someone on a podcast. That's how I feel. So I'm like, I'll just, I'll just save like the, the hard stuff for podcasts. So she could pick a, you know, she could have a, a newsletter where only people who've subscribed get the 
extra level personal stuff or all sorts of things. And also there are settings on Instagram. You can have a private account. You can set your settings so only people who follow you are able to comment. You can, at the moment, you're really limited in how you can filter your DMs, but I'm hoping that's going to come. But you can set up keywords that people just can't say. So they're blocked. Yeah. If someone tries to comment those words on your page, it doesn't show up. So like you can, again, make those steps, those decisions in advance of like, where are my boundaries? What is okay and what isn't okay? But always keeping in mind, like I cannot stress this enough, you are never responsible for the things that other people say about you. You have no control over that. You may have occasional moments of slight influence and that we mistake that for control. We're like, it works that one time. I'll just continue to do it for the whole world. I am gonna try and control the entire internet so that they all only say the things I want to say, I want to hear about myself. It's impossible. And it's not your job. And if people want to be dicks, they're going to be dicks. Yeah. And I think it's really important when you're using your voice to know that your voice is your opinion. And um, if we fall into the category of I am right and I am trying to convince other people who are wrong, mm. then we're coming at it from righteousness. And that is something that would be really interesting to look at because righteousness very quickly puts you in either a a savior role or a victim role carry on tell me more oh <laughs> well i mean it's it's that isn't it i am right you are wrong it's quite a colonial mindset it's yeah. i know something you don't know and i need to convince you so if i convince you then i'm going to feel better because i know i'm right but actually you need the other person to believe you to reinforce your own position it's a it's a really yeah. It's a, I mean, this is a, this is a talk all on its own. It's a very complex narrative, this kind of savior victim role or, um, yeah, but if righteousness comes up or resentment comes up or, you know, any feeling comes, so resentment for me, I link to people pleasing righteousness. I link personally for me, I'm in a position of emotional instability. If I'm feeling righteous, I can't let other people have an opinion. I can't let them be wrong about me or even about anything. I had this the other day when I was out for a walk with my husband and he was talking about something that happened. Um, I asked him a question and he was like, oh, well, that was weeks ago. And I was like, no, it wasn't. It was like oh, five days I ago. He's like, no, it was yet. weeks ago. I'm like, no, it right. was five. Like Here's I, my calendar. Just, <laughs> do you know what? It was literally like that. I had the bit between my teeth. <laughs> That's what I'm like. And I was speaking with my coach about it afterwards. And she was like, why was it so important for, for, for you to be right on that? I was like, I couldn't, because I knew I was. <laughs> yes. Like, because it was the fact. And she's like, yeah, but so what? And I was just like, I couldn't. It took me <laughs> just no I can but it came because I was going through something that had me feeling unstable so I was trying to gain ground with other people's opinions even though I knew I knew I was right quote unquote I knew I was right well yeah, actually, so it shouldn't I matter it shouldn't matter what anyone else thinks but it did I couldn't give ground I saw it as giving ground so it was very territorial I couldn't give ground to his you know, misremembering and let it be okay that he misremembered because that ground was important to me because I was unstable. Unstable. It's really bad, but I was in instability, emotional yeah. instability. Yeah, we all have moments of that. Um, and you said something there that I just think is so at the heart of all of this, which is letting people be wrong about you. Mm. I struggle with this. I think 
anyone who says that they don't might be either have a secret to life or just be lying <laughs> because that's what this is about right someone has an idea or judgment of you and they say it publicly and we think that they're that it's not true it's not the us that we know or it doesn't feel fair and we think that them thinking it is a problem we need to solve yeah yeah 100 percent and the internet turns the volume up on that for sure. Like one person in the supermarket thinking something about you is less painful than the idea of like the top Google search result for you being this conclusion of you that's wrong. I get that. And of course that then turns up like the fear and the drama in our brains. But people are wrong about all sorts of things. Like people, we can't agree on anything. We can't agree on politics. We can't agree on coronavirus we can't agree on global warming so why do we expect everyone to be right and see the truth about us as a human yeah Yeah. well the only reason that we require that is when it impacts our opinion of ourselves so the most important thing is for us not to be wrong about us Mm. And to be really strong, to be grounded, to be all these things that we've talked about. Yeah, and to know actually when the shit hits the fan, there are things that you can do to bring yourself back to safety. And that it doesn't change. All of the stories that people tell about you don't change who you are. Yeah, that's much easier said than done. But yes, it, it. I mean, that is the truth. And we can look to examples of that. Absolutely. I mean, there are, and there are, there are so many people in history, aren't there, who were painted one way and then after sometimes after their death like only then were they thinking of um alan turing who um Mm. i I think he wasn't he like imprisoned because he was gay and actually like he is basically the person who invented all computers that we have today and he's like completely changed the world and they've got statues to him in manchester and like Mm. he never lived to see that the world was wrong about him for his whole lifetime it, it comes down to these facets as well, doesn't it? You know, human brain says right or wrong. There's yeah. no right and good wrong. Good or bad. Good or bad. No good and bad. And really, as humans, every single one of us is both good and bad, yeah. right and wrong. Yeah. You can always be right in your wrongness and wrong in your rightness. But when we're so fixated on one or the other, on the polar opposites, we lose all the nuances. We lose the facets of the diamond, and it just becomes a big lump of coal. We... You know, we chuck that, you know, old expressions come in. You chuck the baby out with the bathwater. So somebody makes one error in their life, that's it. If somebody, you know, it, it, yeah. we can really get well, quite carried away. We do. I and mean, like, we find someone's tweet from when they were 14, 10 years ago, and we think that that defines who they are as a human for the rest of their lives. And we, we make and then it then we define get a whole load career. of other people who agree with us and it becomes this mass, yeah. mass misunderstanding because yeah. there isn't right and wrong. Well, and and so that is uh, like what our letter writer is identifying with. I would recommend to anyone who is interested or struggles with this topic, a book by John Ronson called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. And he wrote Mm. it like it it was very like uh, he he saw what was coming because um, it was really before this this wave of kind of cancel culture, quote unquote, and everything that's happening online. And because we've really seen actually like those waves of cancel culture, it was something on Tumblr, which was very much like a young person's platform. And as that 
generation has grown up. They've moved over to Twitter and Twitter then has become known for cancel culture. And then they've moved to Instagram and like we've become known for cancel culture. And it kind of it's it's having these waves through um, all the different platforms. And then kind of in its wake, it leaves a different kind of equilibrium. Um, but the book is really fascinating. And, and one of the main conclusions he eventually comes to is that the people who survive being quote unquote canceled are um, the people who don't feel shame. So they might Ooh. acknowledge that they've done something wrong. They might be sorry, but they're not ashamed. And that's the secret to surviving it and coming out the other side. Wow, that's that's a talk all in itself, isn't it? It is, yeah. And that's why I just say, just go and read it and have a think about it because if you imagine, you know, we're talking about like this this binary, this this tendency for everyone to pile into camps and to and to be very specifically yes or no, but good or bad. Yeah. If you're also in there going, yeah, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm sorry, I'm bad, or no, I'm great, you're all wrong, and I'm great. It it fuels the fire but if you're there like yeah okay I'm sorry anyway I'm a human you're humans too come on let's carry on maybe there's a path through it yeah and I think when a voice is important and when it needs to be heard having all of those support strategies in place and having that ability to see yourself as right and wrong prevents righteousness or at least can alleviate righteousness and then avoids us getting into that no, you need to know I am I am the one who has the knowledge or I'm wrong about this and um, you know now I'm going to be persecuted by by other people yeah a lot for people to think about this has gone longer than either of us intended so I think we should wrap it up here um, but we will put it out and we'll see what people think and we can continue oh. the discussion in the community because I do know this is a subject close to a lot of people's hearts sally thank you so much for talking about this with me so welcome and i'm very grateful for everybody who puts these incredible submissions in and is really very honest and um real about the situations that they've gone through so i i appreciate that yeah and to I anyone you, of course. to anyone who listening who's listening to this and has felt stirred up by it sending you lots of love go and do some yeah. of those grounding things go and do some of those self-care practices that we've talked about because you are worthy of them 100%. Sending love. <laughs>